Welcome to Hot Plate, a post-foodie podcast. I'm your host, Mirella Amato. Today on Hot Plate, sensory issues, communication issues, grocery issues, and a beer for emotional support. Hello. Hi, Joshna. Hi. How are you doing? I am great. How are you? I am good and very excited about this segment, I have to say. I, I kind of knew you would be, and I've been really excited about sharing it with you. So, of course, our very first episode of Hot Plate right. ever, Man, you confessed to us. Right, that I am not able to, I haven't smelled anything for many years. My sense of smell is gone. Anosmia is anosmia. I know you're a word person, so you'll appreciate the anosmia. Uh, So I can tell you now that I have, so it's been a year since my surgery. In fact, a year exactly today, which is sort of amazing. Um, And I'm here with two open lines of traffic, which is great. The sinus issue is sorted out, but I still, my smell is not back. And is it that you're unable to smell or is it that your brain is getting confused with the smells? I, my hypothesis is that it is a communication issue between my nose and my brain. Right. Because every now and again, I'll get a waft of something Mm -hmm. that is like arresting. It'll stop me in my tracks, mostly because I'm not used to smelling. And and my first instinct is what's going on. Right. And then I'm like, oh, you're smelling. Uh, but what happens is often I will know that I'm smelling, but it's like my brain is rolling through some sort of Rolodex of options and not landing anywhere. That's right? fascinating. It is bizarro. And I'm like, I'm smelling, but I don't know. I can't tell you what it is. Yeah. Well, that's the fascinating thing about the sense of smell is that yes. it's one that we really take for granted. Yes. We use it so much, but we don't necessarily even notice how much we use it. Yeah. And the the vocabulary for it is really limited. Like we don't talk about it that no, much. The number don't. of, you know, uh, adjectives and descriptions that we have for things that we see. Mm, are, that's you know, a really good point. So detailed. Yes, it's true. Right? And then when it comes to smell, what do we have? Like words that are smell specific are incredibly rare. Yeah, I never thought about that. That's There's, a good well, this one. Is my, this is what I do. <laughs> um, I, I right. remember pungent is one of them. Like only yes. a smell can be pungent. Yep, indeed. But 99% of the time we're just saying, oh, it smells like yes. an apple. Uh, we're finding another like, word close. You know, something that we see. Yep. But the, the reference is always a visual one. Mm. So I could see that it would be a particular challenge to try to retrain that communication, yes. which I think on many levels is subconscious. I think you're totally right. Uh, I have realized that it is, I mean, it's easily the one sense that you can live without, mostly. You know what I mean? Well, I can be pretty undercover about the fact I can't that imagine I can't smell. It, but yeah. Right? It's right. My, People it's, don't it's notice. My, there's only like... A few moments like when I don't take the organic spin out in time, <laughs> right? And that, I, and that I could never smell gas or anything, right. like, you know, in a, more, in a more intense safety kind of way. I can't, mm-hmm. I, none of that is happening. Um, but because it's been, for me, it's been like five or six years, I have actually been doing some more research and realized I'm, I'm at a point now where I'm feeling sad because I'm missing things. Right. Right. When I was on vacation, I kept talking to my brother and his girlfriend when we'd walk into a restaurant or a bakery or I'd be like, tell me what it smells like in here. 
what yeah. is it? What is it? You know, and then they would say, uh, "There's some sausages are roasting, or there's some beautiful thing is bay." And I'm like, oh. Or even on the beach, the the smell of salt water. All of it. And it's, all of everything that. is sort of those cues are all passing me by. And it's um, it's so part of the experience for the rest of us. But again, something that we don't. That's it. I guess you don't really notice it until it's gone. No, I think and and it's it's really impacted me only after a prolonged experience. It's okay. now that I'm into five years that I've, uh, and then I read something about smell as being one of the key ways that we lock, we connect to memory and we lock in mm-hmm. memory in our brain. Yeah. So now I am thinking about longer term, further down in my life, will the bank of memories that I have from the past five years be muted somehow because I haven't smelled things? That's a really sad thought. Well, I'm with you. I agree, which is why I decided to do some research to see if there's a way to turn this thing around. Yes. Right. And delightfully. Yeah. So this is a good news story. This is a good news story. (laughs) All right. Uh, Because I was really starting to feel sad about it. I was so Um, intrigued when you told me about this. So I'm glad you're bringing it in. Great. Uh, So I went looking for kickstarting a sense of smell. Mm -hmm. And I found this wonderful website called Absent. Okay. Spelled A-B-S-C-E-N-T, adorably. Oh, how punny. Our friends across the pond in the UK have put this together. Oh, oh, a British right? pun. Uh, Shocking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. Uh, and they have really addressed anosmia in a mm-hmm. way that I was delighted to discover. I had no idea that anybody had gone this deep. Yeah. And that they actually have a, a curriculum for smell training. Wow. Right? Okay. So that there's a way that they could, it's, there's no guarantee all of these things, but if they if they said if you have understood after bouts of sinusitis, which is what resulted, and I had polyps and all these things were happening, uh, and after a bout of that, you are left anosmic. Yes, there's a way to rebuild. Okay, or to try to rebuild. So right, so it's like uh, physiotherapy for my nose or for your nose to brain connection. Yes, it okay. is the communication. Right, so essential oils are the way. Because okay. they, there's purity in the, ideally, with the good stuff, there's purity in the smell. So the process that I have, you'll see, I have four little dark glass jars here. I see them. Right? And then inside each jar is a piece of paper. It's just like uh, craft, like uh, photo book paper or something yeah. like that. And I have hit them with about 10 or 15 drops of each of these oils. Josh, now you're holding it in your hand. I can smell it from here. Really? Yeah, I can't smell. I I, I can't smell th- I, like nothing. I can't. That's confidently, amazing. confidently, but I would say it's in it's the eucalyptus one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, hundred percent. Hundred percent. So we have four. Wait, hold on. Yeah. But I smell. So are nothing. you? Even when you put yeah. your nose in it, no, nothing. I the eucalyptus because of its nature, I can mm-hmm. sometimes feel it. Right. The the tingly astringency, I can feel. And so, and it, they, the instructions mm-hmm. are to do this interesting, like four sniffs. The short sniffs. The four short mm-hmm. sniffs, uh, and then an exhale. And, and we, so, I mean, so the idea is I have these beauties lined up. I have a timer, mm-hmm. or you can play along with the website. Yeah. And I, all their distractions, this is a, a quiet moment, so I can just focus on my nose. Yeah. And what I think is interesting is because the memory piece is such an important part, mm-hmm. their prompt for the 20 seconds that I spend sniffing is to remember 
eucalyptus to remember where I smelled what my memories are of eucalyptus. Do you have any? The spa, a steam room in the spa. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I have one, but it's, you know, it's in New Zealand. Right. You know, eucalyptus, I think, is not, a, you know, something that everyone has smelled in the wild, has connected but it, it didn't to occur persons. to me. Yeah, the spa. That for me, it's the steam room at the spa. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where I take myself to for 20 seconds. So eucalyptus is one of the... Eucalyptus. Smells. Uh, then clove. Can I guess? Oh, okay. oh, please. I'd love it. Yeah, yeah. You haven't seen these labels. Let's see. I'm giving them to you in the this order. Is, I know this. Yeah. This is clove. This is clove. Because um, of Christmas cookies. Uh, yes. Yes. And that's my, that's my memory is baking. I feel like this is citrus. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go lemon. Yep. Okay. You got it. Uh, and then here's the last. Oof. Mega. That's not for me. I wonder how they pick these for. They, uh, they ultimately they say that anything because it's a memory connection, you could have like someone's cologne or you know something yeah. like that in there. Uh, but these, I think the idea is that they are distinct enough in there. They they take you to different corners of the smell map, so to cover all the bases. So you're saying you're not catching any of them right now? Not Did they give all. you any indication how long it might take? They say uh, don't look for any results any sooner than four months into this. Wow. So I'm probably about a month in right now. Okay. And I'm charting it all and, the, and it's just like zero, zero, nothing, nothing. But hey, so well, fingers crossed. Let's check in in now a few we, months. Exactly. I'm now really we've charted curious the journey to see here. how this turns out. Me too. Thanks for, thanks for playing along. How fun. Uh, so I found this bit about um, uh, about Kellogg's. So mm-hmm. Everybody knows cereal grain uh, multinational corporation. Cheerio? Do they do Cheerios? Kellogg? No, General Mills is Cheerios. Kellogg's is cornflakes, Rice Krispies. That's how much I know about cereal. Hey, hey, listen. Oh yeah, Rice Krispies Rice is Krispies, Kellogg's. Kellogg's uh, and long-standing American company. Yes, right. Everywhere in the world, cornflakes are all over the place. Uh, but this piece talked about how Kellogg's has made a pledge to reduce their use of herbicides, specifically Monsanto, Monsanto's Roundup Ready. Yes. Right? Part of their herbicide uh, that that is used on the wheat and the oats that they purchase for their cereals. Yes. Right? Uh, on the surface, sounds like a killer idea. It does. Uh, and it's an important move because we all need to consume much less of her, much less, you know, herbicides than is currently happening. I agree with uh, that assessment. The challenge here is that they held a press release about this without actually informing any of the farmers that they purchase from about this practice. Right. Um, which prompted the thinking for it sort of took my thinking in a bit of another direction because to me, the thing that that feels really important about men, that, about talking about the, uh, here is the fact that they're like at a very high level. We can say all of these wonderful things about our sustainability initiatives and all the amazing things that we're going to yeah. do. But if the internal practice, both the practice and the communication, right? For me, the internal trickle down of communication is the most important piece here, right? I remember when I was at the helm at food services at Ryerson, mm-hmm. I realized that I'd be standing at a microphone, shooting my mouth off, making all these promises to everybody about all the dreamy new food, that I was going to be serving. But I realized that if the wonderful people who are working at the cafes or in the kiosks right. on the ground have no idea about our new local food purchasing program or, you know, why we should care about these local apples, uh, I am dead in the water. This is right, you not You need to a real communicate. Thing. This is um, it. And yeah, I absolutely agree with you that 
that Kellogg's should have communicated with their producers yeah. before putting out that press release. This being said, uh, yes. I did read the article that Tell you sent me, more. me yes. and I felt like it was very much skewed to elicit those kinds of uh, feelings. Okay. And I became quite intrigued okay. with what was going on. So I started digging. You did a Morella dig? Amazing. I- <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> Kellogg's didn't say that they would stop their farmers from using this particular right. product. They right. said they would stop them using it for uh, the purposes of drying their crops. And what I found super oh, interesting, interesting... This nuance is important. In yeah. the farmer's response, they said, this is absolutely a safe chemical. As long as it's used as indicated, it is completely safe. Mm. And if we cannot use it anymore, then it'll be a huge problem and there's nothing else that can do what it can do. Right, right. So... Taking a step back, this mm-hmm. particular product was developed. It's a it's a herbicide. Yep. And it is usually used either right when you plant the wheat, uh-huh. you can put some down. Right. And then that will kill the weeds that would otherwise compete with the wheat. Mm-hmm. Or, and this one I understand less, but after the wheat has been picked, you can throw it down and it prevents weeds from interfering at that stage. Interesting. So that's how it's traditionally used and 33% of wheat and oat farmers use it in this way. And I agree with the organization, the wheat board, that Mm -hmm. if Kellogg's was saying they can't do that, that would be problematic. Mm -hmm. But that's not what Kellogg's is saying. So they're saying they're preventing it for drying purposes. And this is a new practice that developed in the 80s in Scotland. (laughs) uh, And it is not approved. Right. And what it is, is if there's bad weather coming Mm -hmm. and the farmer has to pick their wheat... What they can do is they spray this directly on the wheat and it dries oh. the wheat, effectively uh, ending its cycle or whatnot so I that they see. can pick sort of it early. it off early. Okay. And this happens in only 3% of uh, all of the wheat grown because it's really only used as an emergency oh, measure. Oh, I see. But here's the interesting bit. I see. They've done some research and so, again, 33% of the use is... The proper use, the legal use, yep. 3% is this emergency desiccation, right. not approved use. Right. That 3% accounts for 50% of the chemicals found in the final food. Oh, man. So that practice is not fantastic. Right. It's not approved. And it's only used 3% of the time. So although I absolutely agree they should have communicated with the farmers before mm-hmm. they made this announcement, it's not dram- It's not a dramatic and right. it's not as dramatic as the the wheat board made it sound. Yes. Like they're yes. saying we can't use this chemical yes, anymore. Yes, We're never yes. going to be able to grow it. So they, they, that's not what they said. That's not what they said. Right. And hold on. Right. What's it called? Glyphosate. That's what glyphosate, it's called. Glyphosate, yes. So in the meantime, fun fact, the World Health Organization has deemed glyphosate as a probable carcinogen. <laughs> so we are trying to avoid having it in food. It is. Uh, I think it's still in minimal, minimal, minimal quantities, but... Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just really glad that you brought it to my attention because I've learned a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Who knows when I can use it's it? It's pretty <laughs> amazing to see when you go digging to act and, and to really understand how a story gets told. 
Yeah. This is this. I feel like both sides of this argument are really it's really important emphasis around whose priorities are being you know met because on the surface mm-hmm. everyone's like yay Kellogg clean cereal you know what I mean yeah. we're all like eat up those cornflakes clean cereal when there's nothing true about that and this was a, a you know a major uh, reporting or I think it was the Washington Post yes it was um, and all the information was there but it was just touched on and mm-hmm. I could see how it had been skewed it had been to, written craftily to, right to bring up those feelings I like that thank you for that. So we're here with Dr. Sylvain Charlebois, who is a professor in food distribution and policy in the Faculty of Management and Agriculture at Dalhousie University in Halifax. And he is also the Senior Director of Agri-Food and Analytics Lab, also located at Dalhousie University in Halifax. There it is. And... This is very exciting for me. Those of you who have listened to season one of our podcast will know that we've often been inspired by Dr. Chalabois' articles and projects. And so for me, it's super fun to have you on the line to actually talk to us. And uh, I believe the two of you are already acquainted. Yes, we are already pals. Sylvain, it's really lovely to have you. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me. So, Sylvain, the one of the first pieces we'd like to talk to you about is connected to a tweet that you put out. I think probably the end of January, you tweeted a photo of the of the rows of shelves of food in a dollar store. I think we can put food in quotation marks. Food, there. indeed, <laughs> edibles. Uh, and your mention was about the fact that in uh, last year, I believe it was last year, was it a 2019 number? Uh, Two point seven billion dollars worth of food was sold via dollar stores. Yes. Unbelievable. Quite quite troubling. Of course, uh, this is based on some of the analysis that we conducted at the lab here uh, at Dalhousie. I I must say that day, actually, I was... uh, So on weekends, if you notice, uh, if you go on my Twitter account, you'll notice that there's... I do post a lot of pictures of of my visit to different grocery stores. Yes. (laughs) Looking at prices, different products, packaging, cookbooks, everything. And... uh, and that day, I ended up, uh, yeah, in front of a dollar store. So I went in, and uh, I was actually on my own. Basically, I wasn't with, uh, with my family, and uh, I was very careful not to to picture anyone. But there was a lot of people in there, in uh, around food, and uh, and of course, we know that the quality of the food that is sold in dollar stores is, is not is not very good, uh, but. If you look at the Dollarama uh, financial results uh, in the last quarter, uh, you'll see that they are trying to capitalize on on food to create habits and get people to visit their stores more often. Right. And it's working. It's working. Yeah. Uh, prices are very affordable, and and other dollar stores are doing the same thing. So it, it really adds up. It's almost $3 billion. That's, that's a lot of food. And Sylvain... I noticed in your tweet, the photo was mostly junk food. I think I caught a glimpse of Wonder Bread. Excuse my ignorance, but you were there. What what kinds of other foods can you find at dollar stores mm. these days in Canada? Well, uh, a lot of it, of course, uh, my most... 
all of it is imported, and uh, there's, uh, I mean, uh, other than candy and uh, and chips, uh, you do find noodles, dry noodles. You just add uh, hot water, so at least there's something there. Uh, there's different, I mean, depending of the year, uh, the time of year, you, you have you do have different types of products there. You do have canned uh, vegetables, uh, and you do have uh, uh, canned of beans there uh it's uh, it's not great of course it's it's all process and and coming from other parts of the world uh but it is decently priced so that's why i mean the dollar stores are are responding to a market need some people mm-hmm. don't have cars and and they do live close to a dollar store and and some products are not that bad. The problem is that the temptation is there. If you actually have a bag of chips right next to a can of beans, you're probably going to be buying some chips as well. So it, mm-hmm. you can see, and the, and the it's just the environment. Um, it's it's not really. It doesn't get someone to think differently uh, about food. It's not. It's not very inspiring. Uh, the no, lighting and everything else. That's why, like I when when you, you you go into some grocery stores and you just feel empowered by what you see by the smells, the lights, the everything. In a dollar store, it's a it's a sea of nothingness, really. Mm. I really caught the food security issue here, uh, particularly when we think about the 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 sort of the increase in food deserts in neighborhoods, uh, and that people don't necessarily have access to quality food in a walkable distance. Um, and dollar stores tend to be in those areas. This is they look it. For low rent right? It's, it's, the, it's a really important point that they're sort of monopolizing on or meeting a community need in mm-hmm. some way. However damaging that might ultimately be, this is what's happening. The question is, Sylvain, how do we... Like, how do we attempt to unwind this? Because surely no dollar stores are, the dollar store is not excited about surrendering any of that $2.7 billion. You have to kind of uh, wonder why people are going into dollar stores to buy right. food in the first place. And I must say, of course, it's always hard to judge when you actually just look at someone. But I actually would say that it's not just people that are in poverty that do visit dollar stores. It's, it's, it's everyone really. Mm. I mean, I could have That's bought stuff and, and, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm doing well. And so there's also, it's, I think it's about food culture uh, and how we prioritize food in our lives. Yep. Um, and of course I would say that most of the people that I, that I saw, shopping around food in the dollar store weren't there only for food. They were buying all sorts of stuff. And we all know that dollar stores are selling all sorts of stuff uh, that are convenient for for birthdays and events and things like that. But And so it's really more about convenience. It's there. The time you take to go into a grocery store and shop uh the time only solely dedicated to food is becoming uh shorter shorter for mm, that's a great point yeah i was thinking about that convenience piece because the you know my first thought with food and dollar stores was to think that's not appropriate but then i took a step back and i realized a lot of our pharmacies have a huge food aisle sure. and, and produce now that's yep. equally 
ill-placed, you know, Ill -pl yeah. Ill-placed yeah. and reflects all of the issues that you were talking about. Yeah, I remember uh, many years ago when uh, Loblaws decided to uh, to sell Joe Fresh or clothing, and and it, it really kind of bothered the brand and and bothered people, and I can mm, see that. Because of the Amazon effect, because of what's going on in our daily lives, I think more and more people are looking for that one-stop shop, looking for a place to get good deals on anything and everything. And the luxury of just being surrounded by food only as a consumer, shopping in a store, uh, is dissipating, I think. Wow. People are losing touch. There are a couple of independent stores in Halifax here that really is a joy to visit because uh, you discover new products you didn't even knew it ex existed um, and you and I think more and more people are forgetting that feeling they're forgetting uh, you know how it is to discover mm. and taste and you know try new things uh, for a growing number of people that's not important and don't forget I mean more and more people are spending our time uh, spending money and time outside the home uh, to consume food and so there, we're subcontracting that that notion of cooking to someone we don't know, someone else, uh, the restaurant business, so, someone we don't know. Mm -hmm. They're going to be doing the cooking and everything for them. So it's so cooking and food is is becoming a, a for a, an abstract concept for a growing number of people. That feels wow. like a huge deal. Like I can feel my heart start racing. Oh, absolutely. I I, I go visit. Probably three grocery stores every uh, every Saturdays, just because I mean, for me, a grocery store is a lab. Really, mm. I, I I observe things, I look at things, uh, I, I try to understand trends and things like that. And every time I visit, it's like tomorrow morning I'm in Ottawa, and on uh, Wednesday I'm in Montreal. Guess what's the first thing I want to be doing before going to my first meeting? I'll see whether I. I'll go to a grocery store and see what what's what's out there, what's new, and and what people are doing. I mean, where are people spending time? Uh, and and I can tell you the visits, the average time people spend in a grocery store is becoming uh, it's 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 less and less. I mean, the average time of for a consumer uh, that visit a grocery store. Uh, I would say two decades ago was over 45 minutes. Now it's down to about 20 minutes. Wow. So the pressure, just go the in with a list. Real. Wow. They just go in, get it done, get in, get out. Um, I, I feel like you have a future doing little uh, literacy tours for people of a grocery store. So then. Uh, I actually have done that already with uh, several reporters. For some reason, some of them actually reach out and, and yeah. they say, Sylvain, I'd like to go grocery shopping with you. And I'd like to go grocery up. shopping with you. Yeah. yeah Could we you meet imagine a future yeah. where that's a thing? Yeah. Where yeah. everyone, where people pay for tours of grocery stores? Listen, even just when I tell people about the perishable on the perimeter, right, and the non-perishable in the center, people are like, What? Yeah, what? of course. My approach is is a little bit different than yours. I'm, I'm not. A, I, I never consider myself as a foodie because uh, I'm an economist. So I actually look at the economics of food. And so when I when I go around the grocery store, I try to understand the whys and, and the hows behind you know the food that ended up on a shelf or at the periphery of the store. Or I'll look at store design and 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 lighting and the cost of all that and and how people are behaving. 
behaving and how people are reacting to to different artifacts in the store and and, and promotional materials and and how flyers are affecting behavior in the store and and the fact that we have phones now and we can actually have information in real time. So all of these things matter a lot to me. Um, a foodie would probably come in and look at you know how salad tastes today and how <laughs> those yeah. those are aspects that that I'm, I'm frankly I'm not as qualified as you guys are. Still though, it's re it, this the whole thing is super fascinating because I think that the notion of how intentional it all is is something that's really far away from the collective knowledge, right? Oh, absolutely. Right. So, Sylvain, let me ask you this: Is there any situation in which you think someone could buy something at the dollar store or would be appropriate? Uh, I'd say there are some. If you really are, if you are in need of, of buying something quick, I mean, there are uh, different noodle packs you can buy, and uh, it is it is okay. Uh, there are beans, but. Some of some some canned goods would require some cooking at home, and so if you're if you're in need right away and you can't buy fresh, uh, yeah, absolutely. If you're a little bit careful, you can actually get away with uh, some stuff. But of course, in a dollar store, there's there's nothing fresh. Um, right. Unlike the U.S., where there is a trend. Uh, where you'll see a growing number of dollar stores selling fresh foods. I don't think it's happening. Uh, and I frankly, I don't think it's going to happen in Canada anytime soon. Have you ever bought something at a dollar store? Myself? Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah. Food well, stuff, though. Food, food stuff. Uh, I, I bought different things. I have, I have four children, so really, for the holidays... We were hosting my family, and uh, we needed candles and things like that. So it's a good place to differ to 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 go. But I don't I don't think it as a pleasant place to go, uh, just because it's just not. Um, it's not. It's not pleasant. I would say overall, it's not a pleasant experience. They don't focus that. on the experience at the dollar store. No, they don't. That's an important no. bit. And have Absolutely. you ever bought food there? No, I have not. No. <laughs> My wife may have, but she didn't tell me. <laughs> Josh and I have to yeah, share this story with give, you. I, I tell, let's talk about this. Oh, my goodness. This is something that happened, I think, a, a month or two ago. It was right? all over the, the beer news. Thank you. This uh, fine gentleman in New York, his name is Floyd Hayes. Floyd. Decided to register a beer as an emotional support animal. <laughs> it's so great. Apparently what happened is he noticed on the subway system there, it says you can't bring, you can't smoke or drink mm -hmm. alcohol unless you have written permission. And he thought, consent yeah, or, right. Something like that. He thought, how can I get this consent? Important question or, to ask. Also, what does that mean? Like, who gets that provision prior is very, consent yeah, to smoke like, and drink on I've the subway? I've got a piece of paper that says that I can smoke here. It's fine. And as far as legit pieces of paper go, I mean, emotional support beer. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. It's <laughs> such a, a smart approach. thought, right? I know. Uh, it's such a smart thought. I mean, I... I mean, it, I think it was sweet and I sort of embraced it in the nice spirit uh, that I think he intended to write it in. Absolutely. But I did think a lot about airlines and travel and the 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 sort of oh, all the things we're seeing around emotional support animals. Right. And I was like, I was like, it's a very slippery slope. Do you remember that right? peacock? 
Yes. I think it was in New Jersey. Yes. Someone tried to bring a peacock it on is, an airline as an emotional support animal. I'm, and like, look, I feel like full disclosure, I am not an animal person. I have love for my fellow beast and our, you know, there are, you know, we should all live here comfortably together. But yeah. I, I don't have that pull for animals. Uh, I don't want to see them abused, but I, I don't have it. So I, I maybe I don't, don't get the importance of having your ferret or your peacock or whatever it is on the plane with you. And I am terrified at the moment where I end up in a seat beside somebody. Yeah. Like that to me, that seems like the worst option ever for a flight. Well, you'll be happy to know that as of January, the uh, the international flight regulation right. body, those, whoever they yes. are, um, they they are proposing a bill now to bring it back down to just uh, to service dogs, service dogs, trained okay. service dogs. I mean, I, I think that's there's no argument there. <laughs> Feels crazy, the whole um, thing. but. I think people were taking advantage, and I think the thing with airplanes, certainly with a peacock, is you have to be aware that there's other people on this flight. Yeah. Um, where is this peacock going to... And can like, a peacock really be, like, all folded up and constrained for at least two hours? How's it not going to trouble anyone? What a sadness. Uh, I don't... I'm is just imagining bird poop everywhere. <laughs> and Who knows? So, you know, they had already started bringing, you know, things down to like making the, I think there was no spiders allowed, no snakes. I don't know. The very, all, my it all seems very my emotional arbitrary. And, yeah. Amazing. Uh, Amazing. But they're, they're, yeah, they're thinking of clamping down. I, I mean, why don't they just give everyone a beer? I know. Three cheers to this guy. I loved in the piece that one of the, the officers, the regulars, but he can apply all day, but it is <laughs> never going to happen. How fun that for days after he had registered his beer, you could go on this website and find. And see this six pack. With <laughs> his beer has been registered. Oh, sweet. But they've, uh, they've pulled it Floyd, out well done, Floyd. Well done. It's a, it's a funny story. It's really cute. If you're enjoying our podcast, please leave a rating or review. It helps others find us. Hot Plate is part of the Frequency Podcast Network. Original music by Dave Bell. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Hot Plate Pod. Follow me at Virology on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And follow Joshna at Joshna Maharaj on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Hot Plate is produced by Mirella Amato, that's me, and Dennis Coyne. Thanks for listening. Thank you.